0: chapter twenty four of ormond by maria edgeworth this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by bruce peary when ormond returned in obedience to mrs Macruel's summons he found in the room an unusual assemblage of persons a party of morning visitors the unmuffled contents of the car as he entered he bowed as courteously as possible to the whole circle and advanced towards mrs Macruel, whose portentous visage he could not fail to recognize that visage was nearly half a yard long thin out of all proportion and dismal beyond all imagination the corners of the mouth drawn down the whites or yellows of the eyes upturned while with hands outspread she was declaiming and in a lamentable tone deploring as ormond thought some great public calamity for the concluding words were the danger my dear lady annalie the danger my dear miss annalie oh the danger is imminent we shall all be positively undone ma'am and ireland oh i wish i was once safe in england again ireland positively will be ruined ormond looking to lady annalee and miss annalee for explanation was somewhat reassured in this imminent danger by seeing that lady annalee's countenance was perfectly tranquil and that a slight smile played on the lips of florence mr ormond said lady annalee i am sorry to hear that ireland is in danger of being ruined by your means by my means said ormond in great surprise i beg your ladyship's pardon for repeating your words but i really cannot understand them nor i neither but by the time you have lived as long as i have in the world said lady annalee you will not be so much surprised as you now seem my good sir at hearing people say what you do not understand i am told that ireland will be undone by means of a protege of yours of the name of tommy dunn not Dunscotus. dun scotus perhaps said ormond laughing tommy dun that little urchin what harm can little tommy do to ireland or to any mortal without condescending to turn her eyes upon ormond whose propensity to laughter had of old been offensive to her nature mrs McCruel continued to lady Annerley, it is not of this insignificant child as an individual that i am speaking lady Annelie. but your ladyship who has lived so long in the world must know that there is no person or thing however insignificant that cannot in the hands of a certain description of people be made an engine of mischief very true indeed said lady Annelie. and there is no telling or conceiving pursued mrs McCruel, how in the hands of a certain party you know ma'am anything now even the least and the most innocent child not that i take upon me to say that this child is so very innocent though to be sure he is very little but innocent or not there is positively nothing lady annalie ma'am which a certain party certain evil disposed persons cannot turn to their purposes i cannot contradict that i wish i could said lady annalee but i see your ladyship and miss annalee do not consider this matter as seriously as i could wish Tis an infatuation said mrs mccrule uttering a sigh almost a groan for her ladyship's and her daughter's infatuation but if people ladies especially knew but half as much as i have learnt since i married mr McCruel, of the real state of ireland or if they had but half a quarter as many means as i have of obtaining information mr McCruel being one of his majesty's very active justices of the peace riding about and up and down ma'am scouring the country sir you know and having informers high and low bringing us every sort of i say my dear lady Annelie, ma'am you would if you only heard a hundredth part of what i hear daily tremble your ladyship would tremble from morning till night then i am heartily glad i do not hear it for i should dislike very much to tremble from morning till night especially as my trembling could do nobody any good but lady Annelie, ma'am you can do good by exerting yourself to prevent the danger in this emergency you can do good and it becomes your station and your character you can do good my dear lady Annelie, ma'am to thousands in existence and thousands yet unborn my benevolence having but a limited appetite for thousands said lady Annelie i should rather if it be equal to you mrs Macruel, begin with the thousands already in existence and of those thousands why not begin with little tommy it is no use cried mrs Macruel, rising from her seat in the indignation of disappointed zeal jenny pull the bell for the car mrs macgregor if you've no objection i'm at your service for tis no use i see for me to speak here nor should i have done so but that i positively thought it my duty and also a becoming attention to your ladyship and miss Annelie as lady patronesses to let you know beforehand our sentiments as i have collected the opinions of so many of the leading ladies and apprehended your ladyship might before it came to a public push like to have an inkling or innuendo of how matters are likely to be carried at the general meeting of the patronesses on saturday next when we are determined to put it to the vote and poll jenny do you see jack and the car good-morning to your ladyship good-day miss Annalie. Ormond put in a detainer i am here in obedience to your summons mrs mccrule you sent to inform me that you had a few words of consequence to say to me true sir i did wrap myself up this winter morning and came out as mrs macgregor can testify in spite of my poor face in hopes of doing some little good and giving a friendly hint before an explosion should publicly take place but you will excuse me since i find i gain so little credit and so waste my breath i can only leave gentlemen and ladies in this emergency if they will be blind to the danger at this crisis to follow their own opinions ormond still remonstrating on the cruelty of leaving him in utter darkness and calling it blindness and assuring mrs McCruel that he had not the slightest conception of what the danger or the emergency to which she alluded might be or what little tommy could have to do with it the lady condescended in compliance with mrs macgregor's twitch behind to stay and recommence her statement he could not forbear smiling even more than lady Annaly had done when he was made to understand that the emergency and crisis meant nothing but this child's being admitted or not admitted into a charity school while ormond was incapable of speaking in reply with becoming seriousness florence who saw his condition had the kindness to draw off mrs mccrule's attention by asking her to partake of some excellent goose pie which just then made its entrance this promised for a time to suspend the discussion and to unite all parties in one common sympathy when florence saw that the consomme to which she delicately helped her was not thrown away upon mrs mccrule and that the union of goose and turkey in this christmas dainty was much admired by this good lady she attempted playfully to pass to a reflection on the happy effect that might to some tastes result from unions in party matters but no two serious matters these to be jested with even with a glass of barsack at the lips mrs McCruel stopped to say so and to sigh per favor of the barsack however florence ventured to try what a little raillery might do it was possible that if mrs macgregor and the chorus of young ladies could be made to laugh mrs mccrule might be brought to see the whole thing in a less gloomy point of view and might perhaps be just in time made sensible of the ridicule to which she would expose herself by persisting in sounding so pompously a false alarm but can there really be so much danger said florence in letting little children protestant and catholic come together to the same school sit on the same bench learn the same alphabet from the same hornbook oh my dear miss anerley cried mrs McCruel, i do wonder to hear you treat this matter so lightly you from whom i confess i did expect better principles sit on the same bench easily said but my dear young lady you do not consider that some errors of popery since there is no catholic in the room i suppose i may say it the errors of popery are wonderfully infectious "'I remember,' said Lady Annelie, "'when I was a child, being present once, when an honest man—that is, a Protestant—for in those days no man but a Protestant could be called an honest man—came to my uncle in a great passion to complain of the priest. "'My lord,' said he, "'what do you think the priest is going to do? He is going to bury a Catholic corpse, not only in the churchyard, but my lord near to the grave of my father who died a staunch dissenter my dear sir said my uncle to the angry honest man the clergyman of the parish is using me worse still for he is going to bury a man who died last wednesday of the smallpox near to my grandmother who never had the smallpox in her life mrs Macruel pursed up her mouth very close at this story she thought lady anerley and her uncle were equally wicked but she did not choose exactly to say so as her ladyship's uncle was a person of rank and of character too solidly established for mrs Macruel to shake she therefore only gave one of her sighs for the sins of the whole generation and after a recording look at mrs macgregor she returned to the charge about the schools and the children it can do no possible good she said to admit catholic children to our schools because do what you will you can never make them good protestants well said lady anerley as my friend the excellent bishop of said in parliament if you cannot make them good protestants make them good catholics make them good anythings giving up lady Annalie altogether mrs McCruel now desired to have mr ormond's ultimatum she wished to know whether he had made up his mind as to the affair in question but she begged leave to observe that since the child had to use the gentlest expression the misfortune to be born and bred a catholic it would be most prudent and gentlemanlike in mr ormond not to make him a bone of contention but to withdraw the poor child from the contest altogether and strike his name out of the list of candidates till the general question of admittance to those of his persuasion should have been decided by the lady patronesses Ormond declared with or without submission to mrs mccrule that he could not think it becoming or gentlemanlike to desert a child whom he had undertaken to befriend that whatever the child had the misfortune to be born, he would abide by him and would not add to his misfortunes by depriving him of the reward of his own industry and application and of the only chance he had of continuing his good education and of getting forward in life mrs macruel sighed and groaned but ormond persisted the child he said should have fair play the lady patronesses would decide as they thought proper it had been said that the boy had dr cambray's certificate which ormond was certain would not have been given undeservedly he had also the certificate of his own priest oh what signifies the certificate of his priest interrupted mrs McCruel, and as for dr cambray's though he is a most respectable man too liberal perhaps yet without meaning to insinuate anything derogatory but we all know how things are managed and dr cambray's great regard for mr ormond might naturally influence him a little in favor of this little protege florence was very busy in replenishing mrs macgregor's plate and ormond haughtily told mrs macruel that as to dr cambray's character for impartiality he should leave that securely to speak for itself and that as to the rest she was at liberty to say or hint whatever she pleased as far as he was concerned but that for her own sake he would recommend it to her to be sure of her facts for that slander was apt to hurt in the recoil alarmed by the tone of confident innocence and determination with which ormond spoke mrs mccrule who like all other bullies was a coward lowered her voice and protested she meant nothing certainly no offense to mr ormond and as to slander there was nothing she detested so much she was quite glad to be set right for people did talk and she had endeavored to silence them and now could from the best authority Ormond looked as if he wished that any authority could silence her, but no hopes of that she was sorry to find however that mr ormond was positively determined to encourage the boy whoever he was to persist as candidate on this occasion because she was concerned to do anything that looked like opposing him yet she must and she knew others were determined and in short he would be mortified to no purpose well ormond said he could only do his best and bear to be mortified if necessary or when necessary a smile of approbation from florence made his heart beat and for some moments mrs mccrule spoke without his knowing one syllable she said mrs mccrule saw the smile and perceived the effect as she rose to depart she turned to miss annalee and whispered but loud enough for all to hear miss annalee must excuse me if i warn her that if she takes the part i am inclined to fear she will on saturday people i know will draw inferences florence colored but with calm dignity and spirit which mrs mccrule did not expect from her usual gentleness and softness of manners she replied that no inference which might be drawn from her conduct by any persons should prevent her from acting as she thought right and taking that part which she believed to be just so ended the visit or the visitation the next day lady annalee miss annalee sir herbert and ormond went to Vickersdale and thence with the good doctor to the village school on purpose that they might see and form an impartial judgment of the little boy on one day in the week the parents and friends of the children were admitted if they chose it to the schoolroom to hear the lessons and to witness the adjudging of the week's premiums this was prize day as they called it and sheila and moriarty were among the spectators their presence and the presence of mr ormond so excited so over-excited tommy that when he first stood up to read his face flushed his voice faltered his little hands trembled so much that he could hardly hold the book he could by no means turn over the leaf and he was on the point of disgracing himself by bursting into tears oho cried an ill-natured voice of triumph from one of the spectators ormond and the annelies turned and saw behind them mrs McCruel. murder whispered sheila to moriarty if she fixes him with that evil eye and he gets the stroke of it moriarty tis all over with him for life tut woman dear what can hurt him is not the good doctor in person standing betwixt him and harm and see he is recoverin upon it fast quite come to hark he is himself again tommy voice and all success to him he had success and he deserved it the prizes were his and when they were given to him the congratulating smiles of his companions showed that dr cambray's justice was unimpeached by those whom it most concerned that notwithstanding all that had been said and done directly and indirectly to counteract his benevolent efforts he had succeeded in preventing envy and party spirit from spreading discord among these innocent children mrs Macruel withdrew and nobody saw when or how it is clear said lady annalee that this boy is no favorite for he has friends or if he be a favorite and have friends it is a proof that he has extraordinary merit said sir herbert he is coming to us said florence who had been excessively interested for the child and whose eyes had followed him wherever he went brother whispered she will you let him pass you he wants to say something to mr ormond the boy brought to ormond all the prizes which he had won since the time he first came to school his granddame sheila had kept them safe in a little basket which he now put into Ormond's hands with honest pride and pleasure. I got em, and granny said you'd like to see them, so she did, and here's what will please you. See my certificates, see, signed by the doctor himself's own hand, and father mccormick that's his name, with his blessing by the same token he gave me. Ormond looked with great satisfaction on Tommy's treasures, and Miss Annalee looked at them too, with no small delight well my boy have you anything more to say said ormond to the child who looked as if he was anxious to say something more i have sir it's what i'd be glad to speak a word with you mr harry speak it then you're not afraid of this lady oh no that i am not said the boy with a very expressive smile and emphasis but as the child seemed to wish that no one else should hear ormond retired a step or two with him behind the crowd tommy would not let go miss Annalie's hand so she heard all that passed i am afeard i am too troublesome to you sir said the boy to me not the least said ormond speak on say all you have in your mind why then Said the child, I have something greatly on my mind because I heard granny talkin to Moriarty about it last night over the fire and I in the bed. Then I know all about missus McCruel and how, if I don't give out and wouldn't give up about the grand school on Saturday, I should maybe be bringin you, mister Harry, into great trouble. So that bein the case, I'll give up entirely and I'll go back to the Black Islands to morrow said tommy stoutly yet swelling so in the chest that he could not say another word he turned away ormond caught hold of him and at the same instant florence and he stooped to kiss the child she drew back blushing it was the happiest moment of ormond's life as they were walking home together from the school moriarty said to sheila i'll engage sheila you did not see all that passed the day i'll engage i did though said sheila and boy, the same token if you want one little tommy and the kiss he did not get why then sheila you've quick eyes still oh i'm not so blind but what i could see that with half an eye ay and saw how it was with them before you did moriarty from the first minute they comed into the room together said i to myself there's a pair of angels well matched if ever there was a pair on earth these things is all laid out above unknownst to us from the first minute we are born who we are to have in marriage added sheila no not fixed from the first minute we are born sheila it is not said moriarty and how should you know moriarty said sheila whether or not and why not as well as you sheila dear replied moriarty if you go to that well in the name of fortune have it your own way said sheila and how do you think it is then why it is partly fixed for us said moriarty but the choice is still in us always oh burn me if i understand that said sheila then you are mighty hard of understanding this morning see now with regard to master harry and peggy sheridan it's my opinion twas laid out from the first that in case he did not do that wrong about peggy then see heaven had this lady this angel from that time forward in view for him by way of compensation for not doing the wrong he might have chose to do now don't you think sheila that's the way it was be a reasonable woman the reasonable woman was puzzled and silent sheila and moriarty having got without knowing it to the dark depths of metaphysics there was some danger of their knocking their heads against each other here as wiser heads have done on similar occasions it was an auspicious circumstance for armand's love that florence had now a daily object of thought and feeling in common with him mrs McCruel's having piqued florence was in ormond's favor it awakened her pride and conquered her timidity she ventured to trust her own motives to be sure the interest she felt for this child was uncommonly vivid but she might safely avow this interest it was in the cause of one who was innocent and who had been oppressed as mrs Macruel was so vindictively busy going about daily among the lady patronesses preparing for the great battle that was to be decided on the famous Saturday, it was necessary that Lady and Miss Annerly should exert themselves at least to make the truth known to their friends, to take them to see Dr. Cambray's school, and to judge of the little candidate impartially. The day for decision came and florence felt an anxiety an eagerness which made her infinitely more amiable and more interesting in ormond's eyes the election was decided in favor of humanity and justice florence was deputed to tell the decision to the successful little candidate who was waiting with his companions to hear his fate radiant with benevolent pleasure she went to announce the glad tidings oh if she is not beautiful cried sheila clasping her hands ormond felt it so warmly and his looks expressed his feelings so strongly that florence suddenly abashed could scarcely finish her speech if mrs mccrule had been present she might again have cried oho but she had retreated too much discomfited by the disappointments of hatred to stay even to embarrass the progress of love love had made of late rapid progress joining in the cause of justice and humanity mixing with all the virtues he had taken possession of the heart happily safely unconsciously at first yet triumphantly at last where was colonel albemarle all this time ormond neither knew nor cared he thought but little of him at this moment however said he to himself colonel albemarle will be here in a few days it is better for me to see how things are there before i speak i am sure florence could not give me a decisive answer till her brother has disentangled that business for her lady Annalise said as much to me the other day if i understood her rightly and i am sure this is the state of the case from the pains florence takes now to avoid giving me an opportunity of speaking to her alone which i have been watching for so anxiously so reasoned ormond but his reasonings whether wise or foolish were set at naught by unforeseen events End of chapter 24